Coming out this Saturday on Beyond Vibe, I'm joined by a man at the very forefront of rock music, J.B. Cannon of Rifle Sons. To be right in the middle of the largest artistic undertaking of our career and as a band together. Well, to be right in the middle of composing all of those statements and these songs and then take a break from that and then go out on the road and travel the world and play songs from 11 years ago. That was a mindfuck. I think that Rapture is really as me at a crossroads, even wondering like, what am I doing? Do I want to make rock and do I want to make rock and roll music anymore? Do I want to do this? Is this an identity that is even? Do I want to wear this? Do I want to keep doing this? You know. Um, you would not believe that Rival Sons is actually the most popular answer on this question. <laughs> so I'm here with Jay Buchanan of Rival Sons. Thank you very much for joining me, Jay. Of course, you know, you've got this genuinely fantastic record, uh, Dark Fighter, coming out on June the 2nd, um, you know, which we'll absolutely be getting into. Um, but first, I like to kind of take a look at the the early years, the origins of a musician, as of course you know it shapes who they're going to go on to be as a as an artist. Um, so, what first got you into wanting to become a musician? That's a that's a question I've been asked many many times, <laughs> and here's what's crazy about it: every time, if I think about it for long enough, it's always just a little bit different. Mm. Um, I really don't think there was ever any hope of me doing anything else with my life. I think that as, as long as I can remember, music's been there, and um, I just knew, I don't, I don't know, it, it, music seemed like free magic, mm. or it seemed like it's just it's available to everyone and it always perplexed me like why more people or why more people don't tether their life to something so wonderful and, or powerful i think from a young age like when i would look at you know my parents having jobs or i was equated any job that wasn't music it just sounded like jail. <laughs> yeah. And I knew that whatever it is, like, of course you can have a day job, you know, but you have to play music. You have to play music at night. You need to write music. You need to perform. You need to do these things because the, I always knew like with whatever job I had, that was just a job that I had. I was trading my time to make to earn an income to pay some bills hmm. but I was, I was always very much aware that i was that that's a job i was doing and that that was temporary but i was a musician 
I was a songwriter, you know, and that that was my identity as a person. So I think that being moved at a very, very young age, just feeling music, you know, the way it does move you. It moves you in a way that nothing else does in a completely different way than anything else does. Music will make you cry in a very good way, Hmm. you know, and it will give you the elation. Hmm. I don't know. I've probably... Sounds like a lot of other people's answers, but music is the idea of not doing it just seemed like a complete, uh, it seemed like misery, mm. like whatever, whatever that alternative was, um, just seemed like the worst, the worst thing that could happen to you. So, mm. no, I, I get that. Um, I mean, you spoke about there, you know, the music makes you feel, did you, was there a, a song or an artist that kind of but that I think first all, one out the door? I think, I think all of them. Well, of course, it all began with like my mother's voice or my grandmother's voice, you know, hmm. and music at home. My mom would sing to me sitting on her, when I would be sitting on her lap, she'd sing to me um, when she was nursing me, you know, and just like a mother does. And like, um, that was just, you know, it's not as if I have all of those musical memories, but I have memories like those as I was getting older, you know, two and three years old. And, um, whenever music was on and whenever I would hear people singing, it just sounded like, um, how do you put this? Like when when I would hear music, it sounded like a, an alternate reality, which it is. But it sounded like some place where people tell the truth. When you would hear these songs, it would sound like whoever was in on that record that you were listening to, or the, whoever was on the radio, they were singing something that was the truth thing. And whereas like when people talk, you know we use language and but music i guess through the use of melody or just the vulnerabilities of a of the human voice it just sounded more honest it sounded more honest than other things did to me and it's mm. you know not that i think that even really early on that children have a bullshit detector you know much more much more than we would give them credit for. But I think that they recognize something that involves harmony, you know, or that has a tranquility or peace, a peaceful nature to it, something that doesn't. Mm. And I think that music just felt like that. I'm not saying all music, because when I would listen to certain types of music, I'd be like, no, I don't like that music at all. <laughs> don't like the way that makes me feel but it just came down to the dislikes and likes for the most mm. part um i mean a, a, a few gigs now and, and and comments i always hear as people are leaving people saying you know what a voice what an amazing voice that you have 
is is there you know did did you just wake up and find that you had this or is this like something that you've really kind of worked out over the years oh god i could always sing um and i've always sung ever since mm. i could talk ever since i can remember i sang but no i'm a long way from where i started that's for sure even within even even within this band you know mm. because i i i've been making records since i was a teenager and um long before this band ever got together but even within this band my voice has developed past what i thought it would mm. just and i th i think the reason for that would be the abuse that i put it through you know rebel sons is a very large or it's a very loud band it's a very very loud band and it's loud on stage and there is a lot of action going on and that's the opposite of any type of music i had ever made before it's really the opposite of any type of songwriting that i had ever been interested in because rival sons has it's so much so many guitar solos so many drum fills so much distortion so much fuzz so much shouting so much screaming um but a byproduct of going through all of that you know so many um so many days when i can barely talk out on tour and i think a, a byproduct of all of that abuse and all of that exercise is having a, a greater just a greater understanding of, of what my voice is capable of and what i could do and not only that but what it means to me and how i'm able to connect everything that i am and funnel it through this keyhole of a throat and um but i think that it's the maturity that the, the maturity that you get from a hard-lived uh, voice is certainly different from what you start off with your your previous release um for roots came out back in in 2019 um it felt like a you know, a real big step up for you guys. I mean, obviously it was Grammy nominated. Um, you know, did you, you, you spoke a bit about there, you know, you've kind of had that maturity. Did you feel like when you were recording that, you know, that you were onto something that was, you know, quite special? Yeah. yeah I think that we felt, I think that we felt good about that record because we'd taken our time more so than we had on any previous records. Um, and I think that, I think that the, the collection of songs that make that record, I think that, um, I think the overall statement, I think that we felt really good about it because we knew that we were sitting on at least half of the record we knew that those were good songs you know mm. well-written songs that were written from a place that i think we had yet to go artistically a song like the title track 
of um, Feral Roots. Mm. Or a song like uh, Miss Me. You know, we, we, we didn't have any songs in our catalog that sounded remotely like either of those. And then you have a song like Shooting Stars. It's a message-driven song. I think that we knew that however, however well the record does or doesn't do, that we knew that we had statements within those songs. We knew that we had statements that were going to edify us artistically throughout our career. And that's a good feeling. You know, I saw you guys last year on the, the Pressure and Time anniversary tour. I imagine that would have been around that kind of time where you were recording Dark Fighter. Going back and, you know, performing those songs that you'd written, you know, a number of years ago, did you feel that you were kind of, that you, that you changed your approach compared to now? You know, I feel for Dark Fighter, there's tonally you're kind of venturing into some new territory that is you know a bit darker oh yes uh i can speak to that for sure brian um going on go when we had intended to to do an anniversary tour for pressure and time hmm. we had intended to do that to have a 10-year anniversary but because of uh, the pandemic and COVID and everything. Uh, well, we missed that year. So, so as soon as we could, we, we did a U.S. run. And then as soon as we could, we brought it over to the U.K. and parts of Europe. Mm. Now, you can't look back and you can't, you know, you can't scorn any any part that you've played in your own storyline right and um but to to be right in the middle of the largest artistic undertaking of our career and as a band together well to be right in the middle of composing all of those statements and these songs um and then take a break from that and then go out on the road and travel the world and play songs from 11 years ago. Um, that was a mind fuck because it's like uh, going and putting on your, your clothing from high school or something like mm. that, you know, like, yeah, you can. And it's not, you know, pressure and time is a great record. But that's not what this is about. It's that I, for me, I was a different person when I was writing those songs. I was a, there was a different head on my shoulders altogether. And so going back and reliving these statements and repeating these mantras from that time in my life, while at the same time, I know I'm sitting on all of these other statements uh, for the Dark Fighter record, that that it, that's my actual identity, but I'm not. But I'm not at that time. Like I'm not permitted to wear that identity yet, because the album hasn't been released. So that's a weird one, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
it was a good experience all in all you know we we certainly have a privilege that we have a catalog that we can fall back on and um and i think the fan base you know i think the people that came out to the shows enjoyed themselves but mm. i don't think i don't think i'll be in a hurry to to walk down memory lane so quickly in the future <laughs> no i get that i mean i've even myself like you you get comments they're like oh this is amazing or this is this but i don't know like you feel like you live in the now you know like yeah, you want right. to be where you are today rather than look but i don't know about you but i like to look at where i am now rather than yeah, certainly 10 years ago or whatever um, absolutely one of my favorite songs off the of the new record is is rapture you know i feel it has that well, it has that kind of unusual chord progression in there. And, you know, I think it really showcases, you know, where, where you've come as a, as a vocalist, as a kind of full range in there. Could you talk a bit about that song and, you know, kind of the meaning behind it, how it came about? Yes, of course. I think that, um, I think that throughout the process of making this record, I mean, Ryan, we went through a lot. The whole world went through, you know, there was a global pandemic happening. And there was a lot here in the States. I'm aware that the rest of you, um, you know, out in the UK and everyone else around the world, well, they got to see a lot of our dirty laundry here and throughout the, the pandemic during the election year. The insurrection, yeah. Um, the Black Lives Matter, yeah. The the social, you know. We were having a lot of growing pains, you know, because you've got the. You have the, you've got the, you got a virus, that it's killing people, mm. and you have the politicalization of that immediately you have something as simple as a mask to wear when if you're going to be around other people oh no that gets politicized very quickly never mind that they've been proven to work great the medical community has been using them for years to great effect but you get people not wanting to be controlled and so you you're you have the pol the politicalization of that. Then you have a vaccine. Oh, whoa. <laughs> the, you know, the politicalization of a vaccine. Then, then you have the isolation. Stay indoors. Then you have the politicalization of that. Then you have... Um, then you have, you know, in the United States, you have the brutal murder of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of a police officer on camera. And then you, you actually have people politicizing that and that is political, you know, that is a social issue. But from that, we have the black lives matter movement, a long overdue, uh, a long overdue, um, movement. You know, but then you get the political, the politicalization of that, an opposing side saying, 
oh, there is no racial injustice in the United States. Are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There is no racial bias for our armed forces. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, in our um, in our police community, <laughs> fucking kidding me. And then you have an and then you have an election. You know, you have an election, and you have you know, it's just the worst. It was, it was, it, things were at a fever pitch mm. and this is coming right off the heels of, you know, the, you, the me too movement, but as we were going into that, but it's like, the, like, I, it didn't seem like the, the me too movement, like that, it just ended up in the rear view mirror. And it was like, is that gaining steam? Like we need people to be aware of this, you know, of, of the gender bias and we need people to be aware of this. Are we going to get some traction? And it, next thing you know, it's just, it's way back there because there's all of these other things. So mm-hmm. anyways, I'm getting to rapture. I think that rapture came at a point when I wasn't exactly sure where I was coming from. Um, I think that the, the disorientation of all of these factors you know, and amidst all of this, the band can't tour. Amidst all this, we can't earn an income for our families. Amidst all of this, you know, turmoil. Um, and I was expecting a child at that time. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to move my family back to California. I think that rapture is really is me at a crossroads. Even wondering, like, what am I doing? Do I want to make rock and do I want to make rock and roll music anymore? Do I want to do this? Is this an identity that is even? Do I want to wear this? Do I want to keep doing this? You know, and really feeling that need, like to feeling the need to express myself in a different way, and to write in a in a way that would suit. Um this personal transformation that I was going through. And mm-hmm. so those lyrics, those lyrics are certainly indicative of that. Scott had sent me that verse guitar line and, um, and the basic chords for what would be the main riff. And so I took that and I sat with it for a little bit. And, and then I wrote that chorus and the pre-chorus to it. And I think that I, I think that song brought me a lot of comfort because I was writing precisely in the way that I wanted to. And by that, I mean, it's a long form melody that doesn't repeat itself. So if you start at the top of the verse and you go all the way to where the chorus starts, it never there's no note that is repeated. There's no phrase that is repeated mm. melodically. Um, and I knew that with this record, I wanted to write that way. So there are many songs on this record that are written in that same way. Um, I think uh, Dark Side, Horse's Breath, uh, even guillotine uh for the most part and then bird in the hand certainly it, that that's a long form 
melody that doesn't repeat. And I knew that I wanted to tell melodic stories that were more complex for me and more edifying, more gratifying artistically. Mm. I mean, it feels like more of a a complex album, you know, sonically and, and lyrically. Um, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, the final track, Dark Side. Um, I mean, the impression I got when listening to it, it feels like a personal song to you. Um, I'm looking at these kind of more, well, darker themes. Um, is there a story behind that, that song in particular? Yes, of course, of course. Dark Side, well, that's a rough one, Ryan. Um, I... And uh, I was going through something. I was going through something um, like my best, my best friend uh, since I was young, a young, you know, mm. uh, he was my closest friend. Um, very fantastic person. His name was also Ryan, a very fantastic person, very trustworthy great father, husband, um, and uh, just a great family, man. He was like the type of friend that I would talk to just about every day or every other day. Um, well, it turns out, it turned out that he, you know, he had had an injury some years back and, um, it turns out that as a result of that injury, he was, he had been given some a prescription for painkillers and things. Well, it turns out that he had been hiding a very severe painkiller addiction as a result of all of that. Um, and that came out out of nowhere. And he had already begun, you know, spiraling out of control. Um, estranged. And very soon after that, estranged from his wife, and after that, estranged from his his children, his family. Mm. Um, and then there came the part where you know must have been living out of his car or something like that. And I, and this is like, it was very difficult because then I couldn't get a hold of him. And it, when you love an addict, um, and when they get hooked, like the person that you love. They're not at the driver's, they're not at the wheel anymore. They're not in the driver's seat. They are in the boot of the car. They're in the trunk, uh, tied up. Even though they're still alive and they're still technically in the car, they're just, they're not driving at all. So Dark Side was written at a very difficult time for me because um, when you love an addict, you begin and you go through the process of mourning someone who is still alive. Mm. And that is a very strange feeling to have mourning someone who's still with you. And, um, I think that dark side was written at a time when for the first time in our lives, um, I couldn't get a hold of him and he wasn't returning my calls. And for anybody who loves, again, anyone who loves, uh, 
you know, has a family member or a friend like that or that is an addict, when it goes there, it starts getting really scary because you you never know when you're going to get that call, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, but that song was written at a time when I couldn't get a hold of him. You know, after, that was after, in between his first and second stint in rehab uh so yeah those those lyrics in dark side him you know that addiction like that is a very private hell it's a very private horror it's a very secretive existence that way and so that's where the lyrics come from it's his uh something's driving you out of your mind and pretty soon you're going to get to where you're going um something's got you talking in your sleep pretty soon you're going to give yourself away something's put a tremble in your hand are you able to protect the ones you love something's keeping you awake at night and losing focus when you need to count your flock it's all of those things that, that indicate what the addict is going through. You know, this private hell. That they on, only they understand the pangs of that addiction, the pangs of withdrawal, and the being dope sick and needing the fix, or feeling guilty when they are high, or feeling numb because they're so disassociated with their former life, their family. I think the chorus for that song says it. Like you let them off the hook because you know, they're not, they're not the same person anymore. So every time when you talk to them and they say they're sorry or whatever, it's okay, you know, but those lyrics, there are no promises to keep now that you've gone to the dark side, you know, all is forgiven and you were never, you're not trusted anymore. And so you don't have the, you don't have the burden of letting anyone down. You know, you don't have the burden. You, you're forgiven every time you hurt people that you love. It's all right. You're just trying to get through it. I think that that song in particular <clears throat> I would have never closed out an album with a song that heavy because mm. I'm an eternal optimist and I like to leave people feeling good for the most part. But since we have the next installment of the collection, um, Lightbringer, that's going to be coming in October. Since we have that coming and I know that that's going to tell the rest of the story, um, it works as kind of a leaving you with that statement, you know, where it, at the end of the song, that low drone, that sub, that low note, mm. well, that's the sound of the dark side. That's the sound of the darkness prevailing and you having to just deal with it. Because when you, when you endure something like that, you can't make sense of it, you know, and there's, you're faced with the fact that there's no such thing as fair or there's no such thing as justice you know in that to that degree that life happens and things happen the way that they do and 
I think it's it's in the way that we deal with them and process them. But Dark Side closing out that record is um, it's a I I realize that it's a big statement. Mm. It it felt like a big statement. It felt like a powerful statement. Um, of course, you touched on Lightbringer there, um, which is be coming out later on in the year. Um, when you were doing this, I mean, this is the first time you're doing obviously two albums in a year. Was was this an intentional thing from the get go that you were going to do two, or did it kind of just become that naturally? It became that naturally. I think when we first set out to make. We first set out recording in 2020. Uh, our only expectation was to just make the best songs that we could. Mm. And that's it. that was really the only objective starting out. And I think that as soon as the, as soon, as soon as the collection began to take shape, we knew that we were writing from a different place. You know, a song like Dark Side, that was like the first or second song that we um that we tracked mm. for the entire collection so so we started off at a creative high point like whoa we're going in a this is going to be a different record we're going to go very very deep with this with this collection well we had we had just set out to make the best songs that we we're capable of and there was so much going on in the world there was so much of that, so many lines being drawn all over the place uh, and so many issues and so many divisive topics popping up over and over. No. It's just, it presents like a, a cultural mitosis maybe. And um, there was always something more to write about. There was always more coming up more there was always more to purge just when you think that you're all finished and you can get up off of your knees in front of the toilet and go wash up more needs to come out more needs to be exercised and there's something deep within you that you need to write about something you need to discuss something that you need to reveal to yourself you know I think that there was a lot of that. So by the end, by by the end, we we had finished our last song. It really was. Um, this cannot be, you know, a 65, 67 minute record. I don't think that's what we want to do. That's too much. And the nature of this material is too dense. And so we looked at it and it was really about partitioning the songs into two categories and framing things as two parts of the story. And so we did it that way, but we didn't, we didn't set out with any master plan, you know, or um, grand vision of an opus. <laughs> it just, it just happened that way. Mm. A question I always like to, to finish on that I ask every guest. Um, it's a bit of a hypothetical one. Uh, if you could tour with one band from the past and one band from the present, who would they be? I mean, obviously you've toured with 
a few iconic bands over the years, you know, Black Sabbath, Aerosmith, but are there any in there that that you'd still like to? Goodness, we've toured with everyone. I mean, <laughs> we've toured with everyone. I think, uh, let's see. I think um, there used to be a band called Morphine in the 90s. They were out of Boston and Cambridge, that area. Uh, fantastic trio. I would have liked to have toured with them. Mm, just because the music was so good. Mm. Either them or, I mean, goodness, any any great band. But I think... Um, I think I would like to tour with Rival Sons. <laughs> you know, the funny thing with that, that. The, the, the crazy thing with that is that um, you would not believe that Rival Sons is actually the most popular answer on this question. <laughs> they, <laughs> even you have now said <laughs> Rival Sons. <laughs> I th yeah yeah i think it would be rival sons for both both answers <laughs> because um, and the reason for that ryan is that like i we that the band changes mm. with with every album there's some you know we switch um i don't know how much personally we switch identities it's not it's not as much that it's just the music each collection every album is very different from mm. uh its predecessors yeah yeah it feels like there's an evolution i mean i've kind of grown up with you guys really um mm. and it's like you know you guys have kind of grown as i've grown you know there's this real evolution there um which i don't see with a lot of a lot of bands nowadays well i think um There are a few bands that continue to grow. I think, like, I look at some of my favorites when it comes to rock or or even otherwise. Mm. I feel like Queens of the Stone Age are still, you know, Josh is still writing great music, and he's still very much on his path, you know. And the band, that's just one of the best bands. They're just in, incredible, probably pound for pound. I think that they're those are the ones that's the band that you can't get in the ring with those guys are killers you know um and i look at them and i look at like king gizzard and the lizard wizard mm. king gizzard's a great band that continues to grow and push their own boundaries unknown mortal orchestra is a band that is pushed that pushes their boundaries and I think that uh, there are, you know, most of the bands that I don't hear growing are the ones that kind of just got into one identity and that's just, and they're really good at it, mm. but they're just not interested. They want, they want their rock this certain way, you know? And so that's the way they do it, you know? And, 
And that's okay, right? Because if that's the way, you know, every artist for every band is, I'd like to think that everyone is giving their version of the truth. And they must be cool with replicating themselves like that. And they must be cool with it. So it's all good. Their fan base likes what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So good for them. You know, I think that's great. I just know that for us, I can't, you know, repeating, repeating myself artistically is it goes, it just goes against the grain. And I'm thankful to, to be with, I'm thankful that the, the guys, the other guys in the band and rival sons feel the same way, Mm. you know, switching it up, switching it up and forcing ourselves to look at it from a different angle or just think that artistically, ideally, it's an artist's responsibility to try to push their boundaries, you know, push their and extend their boundaries a little bit. We're, we're supposed to do that, but you know, there are ones that really do it, you know, that really push that have pushed the envelope. You know, like when Jack White was getting his whole thing going with the white stripes and subsequently it's like, you know, yeah, that's what you want to do. And then you got black keys that are like putting old blues music in a pop production and vernacular, like, hell yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know? Or Queens in the Stone Age. Like that's, you know, that's what that's the kind of music I like. Mm. No, I mean, I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I always find it's uh, much more interesting when you don't quite know what they're going to do for that next release. I mean, you mentioned Jack White there. I've always kind of been that guy with Jack White because it's per release. He's trying to do something a bit different, you know, a bit new. And, you know, I see that with you guys as well. Hmm. Yeah, we try. We try and, you know, whoever likes it or gets it or whoever doesn't, okay. Hmm. You know, we've, we've got to do it for us. It's a, yeah, you know, we just, we have to make it for us because it's our collection at the end hmm. of the day. Yeah. Well, it's been very cool speaking with you, man. And, uh, of course, for those that want to, uh, check out Dark Fighter. That comes out June second, and uh, later on in the year, there's obviously Lightbringer as well. Um, the link in the description will be uh, there for that for pre-order. And uh, you guys are coming back to the UK, aren't you, on tour uh, in October? That's right, October. I think our first. Wait a minute. Is our first show in London? It is. It's in London. Oh my! Oh shit! That's <laughs> right. It's in. Our first show is in London for that tour, the Lightbringer tour. Um, I think at the Roundhouse, right? Yeah. Okay, so we'll be at the Roundhouse on Friday. This is great, too. It's not just Friday the 13th. It's Friday the 13th in October. (laughs) I I read this and I thought, is that right? (laughs) Like it seems. (laughs) Mm, That's great. A very ominous record on an ominous date. So that should be a really, that should be a great time. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so obviously for those that want to check that out uh, and that are feeling daring, <laughs> go and, go and uh, <laughs> get your tickets for that. Um, it's been really cool speaking with you, Jay, and um, I really appreciate your time. And uh, of course, Brian. Yeah, thanks, man. Great interview, and <laughs> and um, we'll catch you uh, when we come. What town are you in? Uh, I am just near Nottingham, so obviously we have okay. that year eight connection thing going on there. But um, yeah, I saw you Rock City last time, so yeah, Rock City. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, a lot of fun there. A lot of yeah. fun there. Nottingham. Nottingham's a great town to play. Mm. Always packed. Yeah, struggle getting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're gonna have some fun. Well, great man. Make yourself known when we come through. Yeah, sure, man. Um, yeah, it's been really cool speaking with you, man.